Hello, welcome back everyone to the Required Viewing Podcast. I'm Zach. Uh, with me as always is my co-host Shams. Shams, say hello. What up? Today we're also uh, joined by a special guest of the podcast. Um, please welcome uh, Danny. Hello, pleasure to be here. Well, I'm not here, well, on the podcast. See, Danny's already a better guest because he says hello when I say say hello. He doesn't say what up. Yeah, that's why he's a guest. He's not a host. <laughs> it's true. So, um, uh, yeah, so I first uh, met Danny um, at a, an Oscars party that he threw earlier this year. Um, great, great uh, taste in film. I believe uh, we also pseudo tied for the um, the Oscars pool, um, although it wasn't me. It was my, my friend's ballots, which I had complete control over. So I took... Uh, a good amount of, um, of money from his guests. Sorry about that. But, uh, yeah. So ask Danny to, uh, if he had any interest in being on the pod here. Oh my God. I broke the number one rule. I said, we'd never say pod <laughs> podcast too late. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm, resigning. Resigning. I'm resigning. Shams take over. Uh, I, I actually didn't realize we made that rule, but continue. Um, no, sorry. So, uh, ask, asked, uh, Danny, if he had any interest in being on a, a TV themed podcast, um, and uh, he was very interested in talking about a show that aired um, uh, at the end of 2019, um, pretty much just late enough to or to not really be included in any of the best of the decade chatter. Although um, I think having seen it now, um, it, well, I had seen it. I think Shams hadn't seen it, but um, uh, this is, we're talking about uh, Watchmen and I think now uh, if we were to redo our, our, top five limited series, which is now at Watchmen's being classified as, uh, it would definitely be considered for the top five. I don't know. Um, we'll see what Shams has to say about it later in this episode. That is incorrect, but continue. <laughs> All right. He's already, he's already, uh, fighting me. We're going to talk a little bit about Watchmen later on. Um, what we're going to talk about for the whole episode though, is not just Watchmen, but, um, the entire somewhat controversial career, at least among the people on, on this podcast right now of the creator of Watchmen. And that's Damon Lindelof. He's responsible for three shows um, primarily. Uh, and those are lost uh, the leftovers, uh, which we ranked number two of the decade in the drama category. Uh, and then most recently Watchmen. Um, so just one more thing um, before we get into um, the first of these shows, which we lost uh, this will be a um, a spoiler heavy podcast, uh, meaning if you have not seen Lost uh, or The Leftovers or Watchmen, you might not want to listen to any of this, um, or you might just want to tune out once we start talking about the shows that you haven't seen. Hopefully, you've either seen Lost already or you have decided you're not going to watch it because statute of limitations on Lost spoilers are pretty well passed by this point. Um, so let's, I guess, before we get into Lost, um, Shams or Danny, do you have any thoughts on what, what is your thesis when it comes to Damon Lindelof's uh, work as a whole? I think he's a, um, a writer and a creator who has both uh, kind of, he peaked too early and now he's peaking again late in his career and everything in between is um, not not really great TV, I, I think, but he he is certainly someone who draws you in with the mystery. But in terms of uh, kind of capitalizing and provide capitalizing on that mystery and providing satisfying answers, he's uh, struggled with. Now, with the leftovers, of course, 
the the point was um that there were no answers to like to to the questions you're asking in life so he was playing to his strengths with that show but i think with lost he kind of uh dropped the ball uh majorly which we'll get to um yeah and and then now with now with watchmen he has gone against what he normally does and provided this very complex mystery and managed to to conclude it with with actual answers very unlike uh lindelof and have it be this contained story which was very surprising on uh, when i first watched the season um yeah i agree with most of danny's points there um i think lindelof is it Lindelof? Uh, by the way, before we before we go further, I, I never actually know how to pronounce his name. Damon Lindelof. Lindelof. All right. All right. Good. It's like Spindelof. Good to know one mystery solved about his life. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think he's really good. He's he's a really good marketer. Is what I like to say a lot. He's really good at initial premises and. Attract attracting you to a story. Um, I don't even in the one even in Leftovers, which is probably my favorite overall content of his. Um, I still feel like he he still didn't really fully delivered on the initial promise in Leftovers. It worked out as Danny pointed out that because that was sort of the meta point of it. Um, so sort of works in that context, but I feel with basically every content he's made, whether it's film, I mean, TV or film, basically after the first act, there's only a couple of good moments in his stories. Um, mm. and I've, it's something that just bothers me because his first acts are usually really amazing. And so it's kind of always disheartening to get through the rest of his stories and sort of realize that they just all sort of falter for the same reasons. Um, but that that's what makes him alluring, right? Is that it's hard to, the one thing he's not is boring. Um, it's very hard to ignore him and it's very hard to not be sort of seduced by the initial promise of one of his stories. So I have a quick, I guess I have a quick, slightly different thesis, and it's less evaluative of of him overall. Um, but I just, as we kind of go through each of his three uh, three shows that he's worked on, I'm I'm most interested in how the both the leftovers and Watchmen are heavily living in kind of this like shadow of Lost. I think Lindelof's career is marked by this like almost like paranoia he has as a result of the the reaction to the finale of lost to the point where i think it's super clear in the leftovers and it was definitely clear in most of watchmen with how uh, i think how like nerve-wracked he was um about the potential reaction to it and especially like having an ending um so let's let's get into talking about lost and kind of this almost this like specter that's looming over um, him and probably will for the rest of his career. Um, so I don't know how we want to do this because with, with lost it's um it's a lot of episodes. This is truly old school television where most of the seasons uh, at least they started off in like the classic, like 20 to 24 episodes per season. Uh, and then the writer's strike hit in season three and um, the remaining seasons were a little, 
different after that. Um, but let's talk about kind of the the opening act of Lost, if you will. Call it like the first two, two to three ish seasons. Yeah, I think the first three seasons. I think basically everything until Through the Looking Glass, which I believe is the season finale of the third season. Yeah, that's right. Um, I consider that to be kind of one story, at least one cohesive story. Um, and then everything after that, to me, honestly, feels different. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. And I actually like uh, season three the best out of uh, the first three seasons, which I know is kind of an unpopular opinion since that's the season where they're, uh, what, Sawyer and Kate are in the, the cages for like five episodes. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. But I, I think still, despite that, um, it's still you know you got more information about the others. You you learn more about the island. It's all really engaging stuff. And then there's a noticeable drop off um, when the writer strike does happen. And season four is kind of like, what are we, what what are we doing here? This is a lot of just going around. They introduce those that boat. Um, and it's just like at, from that point on, yeah, I think it was just all um, kind of diminishing returns with that show. Yeah, you look at season one, especially, uh, and just to put some numbers to this, um, I think you mentioned season three. Um, liking season three is an unpo- unpopular opinion. Um, by the numbers, at least the the critics' numbers, uh, season one debuts with a nine point four on Rotten Tomatoes. That's um, that's the overall ranking, not the percent fresh uh, score. Uh, season two, that drops to, I mean, well, not drops, is 9.2 still. Um, season three has the lowest critical ranking of any season at 7.9. Uh, the wow. user scores start off at 9.5 for the first season and then go down to 9.0 and then 8.9 and basically kind of go, they descend uh, linearly, basically. Um, whereas the critics have um, something against season three. And I I have to believe that was kind of somewhere in the middle, probably during the the writer's strike, uh, because uh, I think, as Shams mentioned, the finale of season three, Through the Looking Glass, um, I think that's one of my favorite, uh, favorite episodes of Lost. Um, and I guess I just don't remember the rest of it, probably because it was the part that made season three not as good. Um, but uh, st- yeah, starting with season one, um, incredible set of episodes like you have the you have the the pilot is great um one of the standout episodes if not the best of the whole series definitely one of the best with walkabout um and then there's just like so many episodes that's the thing is you have to you have to look at this as old television where they had to turn out so many that i don't really remember most of them but the highlights of it um and then including the finale obviously of the first season um are just really high really 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 high highs when they when they come around yeah, I think the season through the looking glass, I would actually say, I would agree. I think it's actually the best finale of all the, if you look at like all the seasons, I think it's the best season finale. And outside of the pilot and maybe, um, I think outside the pilot, you could argue it's the best episode of the show. Um, uh, for me, the problem with season, pretty much every season after season one, was that it never found a way and this honestly applies to all of his shows, honestly, except for, I guess, Leftovers, even that, though, to some extent. It never un- it never found a way to balance its... Its cast got bigger and bigger, and it didn't know how to balance it all. I felt in season one, the, ca- the story was still 
it was still an ensemble piece, but it was still like a contained ensemble. Um, by season two, they start adding new characters. Season three, it's even more. And then it just gets ridiculous with the different, you know, timelines. And there's flash forwards and flashbacks and then present all happening at the same time. So it's like, there's, it's too, it's too much to juggle. And this is kind of a critique I have of Lindelof in general is that for whatever reason, he decides to add in that extra ball to juggle when he was perfectly fine doing whatever he was doing. And then he just adds another ball that just sort of makes it all fall down. And that that's to me what happened with Lost is that it was going at a good rate, but it kept just adding more and more stuff and it just couldn't maintain all that. So that's why I think season one stands the test of time because it managed to be big but contained. And then every season after that is pretty much hit or miss, uh, depending on what episode you watch. Yeah, it's almost like there was there was no more story left to tell. So when he did throw in the time travel, it kind of both became confusing, but at the same time uh, predictable of where it was going, kind of where when they go back in time, it's like, oh, okay, so obviously they're going to be the people who created the problem. Um which the hatch was built for like, it, it's kind of, kind of obvious where that's where the story was heading and every, all the details in between um, kind of got muddied up and there was just kind of string. We're stringed along with the mystery, basically the hatch. I'm glad you brought up the hatch. Cause I think the hatch is the first time Lindelof did something in which he created this big, mystery and buzz and excitement about you know the hatch and like what's in the hatch and i Mm -hmm. i actually still vividly remember i think it was actually a super bowl episode actually i forget but uh there's an episode where they open the hatch right and there's this great visual of like um um i think it's Locke. i forget actually actually i forget who the i think it's Locke, and um not it was Sawyer, I actually forget, but they just like open the hatch and they look down and you feel like this excitement that like, oh my God, they're going to go and they're going to see all this stuff. And then they get there and there's like nothing. And they spend like so many episodes just like continually like showing nothing going on in the hatch. And mm-hmm. it took so long for the payoff to happen. By the time the payoff even happened, you didn't even care anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that was the way you're referring to that. I think that was actually one of the final images in the first season finale. Oh, it was it's either the final image or the last thing that happens right before the the boat scene um, where the the others take Walt. Yeah, you know what? Um, Like Jack opens it, and I forget if it's Locke or Sawyer, but like someone's with him, and like they just like look down. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's Jack and Locke because that sets up the first um, the first episode of the second season, Man of Science, Man of Faith, and kind of positioning those two as like not really rivals, but like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, foils, uh, juxt yeah, foils in terms of like two different characters and how they deal with this um, this thing in front of them, and. I think that, um, yeah, it's like you said, like the story kind of runs out. Um, but I think for me lost, and this is going to be a common trend in all of Damon's work is, uh, his style is so character driven to the point where like, I think 
almost I don't want to I don't want to compare this to um, uh, Mr. Robot um, and Sam Esmail, but he he did famously say "fuck plot," um, <laughs> and Lost is maybe a show where you kind of do have to say "fuck plot" because it's about the characters. I think the issue is. I think, yeah, as you said, like toward the end of season three, uh, you run out of story to tell with the uh, the existing characters. And so in order to keep it going, you have to inject a new set of characters. And I do feel like they did an OK job of that with with at least one of the characters. Uh, and that's Daniel Faraday. Um, other than that, I can't really think of anything I really loved um, in the latter three seasons and and that's coming from someone who really really loves time travel stories especially the um the way uh, the the rules of time travel that lost followed um but yeah other other than that i think the the latter three seasons were considerably weaker in that they they continued trying to rehash sto- uh character stories um and once they kind of ran out of backstory through the flashbacks they had to go do the flash forward, but that just wasn't really as interesting as the original premise of the show, um, which to me, the the original premise of the show is most clear in, there's a scene between Hurley and Saeed in the first season that I remember most vividly where Hurley is talking to Saeed and he said, Oh, what did you do before this, you became a castaway? And Saeed says, I was a soldier and Hurley's, Oh, no way. What war? And Saeed says the Gulf war. And Hurley says, uh, there was a, I had, oh, I had a buddy in the Gulf War. He was Marines. What were, what were you? Navy? Army? And Saeed just looks at him and says, the Republican Guard. Um, and that mm-hmm. really sums up what the show originally was about, which is this, this diverse set of characters that haven't all come from the same walk of life. Um, and we're dealing with all of their, their backstories kind of one at a time. Uh, but it once was those PC stories were all show old. before PC was even a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of that diversity included, and like it didn't even force it. it like it was just a part of the actual kind of core of the show. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, talk about um, I, so, the Sun and Jin storyline, um, for example. Like that was it. It was almost um, groundbreaking at the time to even have. Um, entire episodes in Korean with where you had to read English subtitles. Um, the, the network executives actually were trying to tell them no one would watch um, these, these sun and gin focused episodes because they don't want to read subtitles. Yeah. And that Saeed Saeed also uh, had a uh, interracial romance in the, in, in the first season. Oh um, yeah. With Shan. I completely Shan- forgot about Shannon's Shan- character. Yeah. yeah um, we all, I think we all forgot about uh, Shannon. Oh, poor Shannon. <laughs> Portion, <laughs> but um, yeah, how did she I, die? I mean, so now I, I guess to get a I bit, I don't even remember how she died. Uh, she crashed by a plane. No, I thought that was. Her oh no, brother. she gets shot. Yeah, that's she right. That's shot. right. Her brother yeah, gets crushed by the plane. Huh. Yeah, that's the end. Yeah, it's actually that's actually a really pretty good moment because it's when the um in season two they set up the. Uh, the other half of the, you know, the tail section and they do the episode, the other 48 days where they show what happened to the rest of the group. And then it kind of, then I think the next episode is called collision. And that's when the, the tail section of the, of oceanic meets the, the main group from season one. And, and that literally when they meet is when uh, I think it's Anna Lucia shoots uh, Shannon. Yeah. 
I remember this. It's all, it's all coming back. It's all coming back. Yeah. So, but not to be, I guess to be more positive about Lindelof, because we shouldn't be completely negative given we're doing a whole episode on him. Uh, he does create good character origins to most of his initial set of characters. I feel um, that when you when he introduces them, you he he gives you enough to feel like they're complex and realistic and nuanced, um, and and you want to learn more about them, and you also want to see how these people are going to interact with the different crazy scenarios he's going to put them through. So, And that's a really hard skill to do, because I actually think a lot of times most writers and creators are have a hard time of creating like truly compelling characters from the start, right? I think writers tend to make characters interesting over time, but they don't necessarily make a character interesting from the get-go. And Lindelof, I think, has a really unique ability to create characters who are instantly appealing um, from the start. Um, and I, I give him a lot of credit for that because I think it's actually very hard to do to, to do something like that. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about compelling character uh, intros, is that like Locke's character on that show. I mean, his his whole backstory and then him coming to the island it adds this kind of supernatural element uh, to the show but it doesn't clearly define it because you know you know he was in a wheelchair and you want to find out how um, which you eventually do and then him being on the island suddenly being able to walk you know that that's instantly a compelling um, mystery you know debuted right at the start um, and his, like what he does before the island and after is it completely tracks for his character, always him being fixed and wanting to fix things. I think his, um, my, my favorite episode is further instructions in uh, season three, where it's a flashback episode where Locke goes, um, to this, uh, town and uh, to this commune. And uh, finds out that this whole town is in cahoots kind of growing uh, marijuana in the greenhouse. It's this crazy twist. And he and him alone leads to the uh, downfall of this community because he was trying to help and, and fix things. But little does he know that he is he he brought in an undercover cop to who kind of blows this whole uh, commune's operation. So watching his arc was just from start to finish was amazing how he kind of becomes a villain at the end of the, of the series too is just i think great uh writing from Lindelof. Yeah, I mean characters in general definitely the major strong suit. Uh there's only one more character that I think we really need to talk about and that is um one of the probably one of the best um written uh, TV villains of all time uh, and that would be Michael Emerson as as Ben Linus. Yes. Um, who was showered in Emmy nominations for this role. Um, and I, th- I think it's just season two alone. I mean, the, mo- I think the monologue, I think it's in season two when they, they catch him and you kind of don't know, it, you know, if he actually is who he is, but then he does this, this little monologue about cereal. Um, I don't remember it that well, but if I recall, it was about cereal and, and it's kind of the cliffhanger to, um, to one of the episodes or it's while eating cereal. 
it's so it's sometime in season two, but just overall his um his status as a villain, particularly in in season two and three, um, amazing. And he kind of the he kind of gets a little bit more of a uh, I guess redemption arc through the later seasons. Um, but just as a as a writ, well written villain for the first um, two seasons that he's in, um, it. I don't know. I can't think of many better performances than that. Yeah, completely owns the screen whenever he's on. And the writing, especially for his character, is so strong that you're just glued to him. And you kind of, I I kind of rooted for him, even when he was manipulating everyone and just being so evil. (laughs) But yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. And I, I know we want to move on to his next few shows. And I think a segue about that is that um, I think one thing we're, we're talking about this is that even despite all the writing and flaws, the acting in, for most of Lost is still really, I think, at a high level, even when they're not given the best materials. And I think I don't know how much credit Lindelof gets for that because he's not the casting kind of you know director, but... I don't think it's a coincidence that if you look at his like three big shows that the casting and the acting from start to finish is pretty consistent and pretty high, even if the writing and the story falters. So there, I don't know if it's something that he's able to just, he he's picking the right actors or he just has the right people to pick the right actors for him. But there's just something about his shows where he just finds a way to get the right actor for all these roles. Yeah, I think also it's getting the the best performance out of the cast as possible. And I think shooting on location in, in Hawaii um, for all the jungle stuff um, is a big part of that. Um, yeah, I, I know similar. He's not going to be happy shooting in Hawaii. Yeah, sure. But yeah. I mean, just in general, like the more realistic the set is. I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing that Christopher Nolan does with his films. Uh, and it's I know um, another show with a phenomenal cast that had a lot of chemistry. Uh, Firefly did a lot to make sure the the set was as realistic and kind of continuous as possible. Um, and I think that's something that, um, if not Lindelof, whoever he works with as an EP, or no, he is the EP, but whoever he works with as like the set, uh, the set people and the directors um, are are pretty consistent in getting good performances out. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have any last thoughts on Lost before. I mean, I know we could do a whole like two hours on the show, so I don't want to necessarily keep rambling. We could keep going in a rabbit hole like the show did, but I don't know if you guys have any. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about that. Like why, why is it that um, some people on this call really hate Lost? (laughs) I mean, I just hate Lost. Okay. Okay. So that, this is, this is more a personal story, right? And we probably, we didn't act, we probably actually, you've done this rant before Shams. Let's, I think, yeah, you did this in our, uh, our last year's episodes. Um, So it's, it's a personal thing, right? Cause I mean, I think when Lost came out, I was, um, in high school. Um, and it was, it was the first show that took over my life where I became just completely obsessed with it and like not just watching it week to week, but like obsessing over the details, even rewatching an episode before the next episode to like catch anything. Go on to Carlton's podcasts. 
No, but I did go on internet. I did go on many internet message forums. You were probably and, on the same forums I was. Um, we probably could. We actually probably contacted each other on those message forums way back in the I'm, day. I'm sure. <laughs> did you know one of the first computer programs that I ever wrote when I was learning programming in high school was uh, a simulator of the uh, the countdown clock? You're such a nerd, but I'm not yeah. surprised. <laughs> I probably still that there's probably still working code on my computer that can pull it up. Also, to this day, I think there's a there's a map of the island in my childhood bedroom, probably in the closet, with a bunch of markers and notes on where different hatches might be. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't make my own. I just looked online. I was, I was a lazy fan. At the end of the day, I'd rather make make other people do the work for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the point is, is that so this is the first. I mean, I think now this has become common amongst most people, right? But for me, this was like a rare, rare, uh, relatively novel idea of becoming like kind of obsessed with the show and kind of waiting every episode and then having like that dread of like waiting for the next season to start. So the show, I mean, the first three seasons I was just so invested in. And then I slowly started to realize in the fourth and then fifth and then eventually sixth that like, oh, this is all bullshit. That was all just didn't mean anything. He didn't actually have any grand plan. Or if he did have a grand plan, it was kind of silly and stupid. And it's actually not that great. Everything you thought was like important and meaningful wasn't that great. Um, which amusingly becomes a point of his next show to some extent. But <laughs> it didn't really help me at the time. Uh, yeah. Okay, so let's. Do you want to move into uh, anything else on Lost? Do you want to say, Danny, before we move on to the leftovers? Well, I think I think this ties into the leftovers. Um, I, I had kind of come to terms uh, in those last few seasons that everything was bullshit. I was more still hanging on to um, uh, to try to get some answers to some <laughs> some of the one hundreds of uh, questions lingering on. I didn't get any of those. Uh, didn't get any answers in his film, you know, the next year uh, that came out, I think a year after the finale, uh, uh, Prometheus, which came out, uh, I think visually beautiful film, but um, doesn't, it immediately falls apart. If you think uh, about, are we go, are we, are we including films here? Cause I can go on a whole nother rant about Damien Lindelof. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't get me, don't get me started on Prometheus, but yeah, I was just, this ties into kind of lost with, it was just back to back two projects that pose just so many, you know, profound um, questions that, you know, I'm not saying you have to answer everything, but you have to give me some type of guidance or some clues. And to have it that open-ended uh, was just really left a sour taste in my mouth, which is why I didn't get around to Leftovers uh, when it initially came out. And then I I just watched, I binged all three seasons um, uh, in 2018, uh, end of 2018. And, you know, it, right when I started... Uh, the first episode, it was apparent what the show was about, which is what I alluded to earlier of how, you know, there are, uh, in life, there are no answers being that kind of perfect allegory for when, you know, someone close to you uh, passes away, you kind of try to look for meaning when, when there, there sometimes can't, can be none. And it's kind of that, you know, constant search for answers that, um, that aren't there, which I think plays perfectly to Lindelof's strengths, which is why, spoiler alert, I, 
I ended up loving the show. I think it's one of my favorites. Hey everyone, this episode went a little long, so we decided to split it up into three parts. Tune in to the next episode in which Danny Shams and I will be talking about The Leftovers uh, from HBO. And just a reminder, there will be heavy spoilers in the next two episodes, so if you haven't seen The Leftovers, I recommend you check it out before listening 